You are listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more media content or to find out more about our church, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. That's whitefieldschurch.com. Amen. Good morning. Happy Easter. Go ahead and take your seats. And uh, as you're doing that, please open with me in your Bibles to the letter of 1 Peter. That's where we're going to be reading from this morning. But uh, Jesus is risen. Amen. He's risen indeed. And that because of that, we have reason to celebrate this morning. That's why we're here. So would you please bow your heads with me and we'll pray once again as we open up God's word. Lord, we thank you for the fact that you are risen. Lord, not only did you die for our sins, but you rose from the grave that we might have eternal life. And Lord, this morning we want to celebrate that together as a family, as a congregation, as your people. And Lord, today we want to dedicate once again ourselves to saying we will follow you because of what you've done for us. So Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. And we thank you for the greatest expression of that. And Lord, may we celebrate it this morning as we consider these great things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning around the world, uh, billions of people are gathering, just as we have here today, to celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ died on a Roman cross 2,000 years ago. But not only did he die, he also rose again. And the reason that we as Christians make such a big deal about this, the reason why this is so important to us, is because of what it represents. The significance of Jesus' resurrection is that it means that no matter what is going on in your life, no matter what circumstances you're facing right now, you can have real hope both in this life, both now and beyond this life as well. Let's talk about that for a moment. Let's talk about the necessity of hope, how important hope really is. Hope is something which all of us need. It is a basic human need, and in fact, uh, in many ways, it's actually essential for our survival. It's been said that you can live for 40 days without food uh, before you die. You can survive for about three days without water, and you can go for about eight minutes without air, but it's been said that you can't survive a single moment without hope. So what is hope? Hope is a forward-facing confidence. Hope is the expectation of good to come, that no matter how things are right now, they're not going to stay this way. Things will get better. That is hope. Hope is a fundamental need which all of us have, and in fact, studies have even shown that hope, it is proven that hope is something that you cannot survive without. Viktor Frankl was an Austrian man of Jewish heritage, and uh, during World War II, he was put in a concentration camp by the Nazis. He was in Auschwitz, an infamous camp, and he survived Auschwitz, and he lived to tell of it. And after World War II was over, Viktor Frankl wrote several books chronicling what, had, what he had experienced in the concentration camps. And one of his books was titled, Man's Search for Meaning. And Man's Search for Meaning has been deemed by the Library of Congress to be one of the top ten most influential books in the history of the United States. In this book, Viktor Frankl talks about why some people survived the concentration camps and other people did not. And what he says is that ultimately it came down to this factor. It came down to hope. The common factor with those who survived the concentration camps was that they never lost hope. And the common factor with those who didn't survive is that they did. And he says this, he says in his book, you could see it happening. You could see that one day people would wake up and they'd stop taking care of themselves. And you knew that it was a matter of time before they they wouldn't survive much longer. 
What Viktor Frankl discovered is that having hope is an absolute necessity. It is a fundamental need that all of us have, and you literally cannot survive without it. And here's what he wrote. Here's his famous quote from this book. It's this. Life only has meaning if we have hope, which even suffering and even death cannot destroy. Life only has meaning if we have a hope which even suffering and death cannot destroy. The question, though, is, does such a hope even exist? Is there such a thing as hope which suffering and death cannot take away from you? For most people, I think that if they really think about it, the answer is no. There is no such hope. And the reason is this, because the things which the average person hopes in are things which suffering and death absolutely do take away from us. Health, family, professional achievement, romance, a good life, so to say. These are the things which most people hope in. In fact, Viktor Frankl talks about this in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, as he's talking about the people who did survive the concentration camps. They were able to survive by constantly looking forward, having hope for the future, looking for something. But here's what he says. Many of the people, though, who survived the horrors of the concentration camps, many of them later on, once they got out, they became incredibly depressed. Some of them even ended and took their own lives. Now think about that. To survive the horrors of Auschwitz because you held on to hope, but then to become totally hopeless once you get out of the concentration camp, to fall into depression and hopelessness once you've gained your freedom. How does that happen? The reason that happened, Viktor Frankl explains in his book, is because the things which these people had hoped in, which had helped them endure the Holocaust, these things ultimately left them disappointed and disillusioned. And the reason is because their hope was in the kinds of things that most people hope in, and many, maybe many of us hope in, romance, family, a good life, professional success. These people were able to get through the horrors and the difficulty of the Holocaust by telling themselves, if I can just hold on, if I can just keep going, one day I will be able to have those things that I hope in, and that will make it worth it. But these people, once they got their freedom, once they began pursuing those things which they hoped in, they found themselves disappointed, they found themselves disillusioned, and ultimately became very depressed. And this is why Viktor Frankl says this famous quote, Life only has meaning if you have a hope which even suffering and death cannot take away. The things which those people hoped in, as I said, are the very things which most people hope in, maybe even most of us. But they are, things which, they are the very things which suffering and death do take away, which suffering and death do destroy. You see, what we need more than anything is a hope which is bigger than our circumstances. But the question again, does such a hope even exist? Is there such a thing? If you look around us in the world, it would seem that the answer is no. You know, the more you think about it, the more you realize that when it's all said and done, we live a hopeless existence in a hopeless world. We live a somewhat meaningless existence in a hopeless world. Think about it. It's been said that the only two things that are certain in life are death and taxes. And what's even worse is you can cheat on your taxes, but you can't cheat death, right? Like there's such a thing as tax evasion, but no one has ever successfully evaded death. 
I don't know if you've seen the statistics on death, but they're pretty grim. I mean, they're pretty staggering. 10 out of 10 people die. That's 100%. And the thing about death is it's so final, isn't it? It's so final. Once you're dead, that's it. Full stop. There's no coming back. I heard a story about some people who worked for an airline. Their job was to unpack the airplanes after they arrived at the airport. And so they were unloading the luggage from a passenger plane, uh, which had arrived at the airport, and one of the items in the cargo hold there was an animal crate for a dog. And these workers, they looked inside the crate only to find, much to their dismay, that the dog had died. And so fearing a lawsuit, uh, they decided, we can fix this problem. No, no worries, right? So they, they bought themselves some time. They found the woman whose dog this was, and they told her, hey, there's been a mix-up with the crate. It's been sent to another destination accidentally, and you know we're just going to have it rerouted. We're going to bring it here, and then we're going to deliver it to your house. No problem. In the meantime, they went out and found another dog. Same breed, same color, looked the same. And they said, perfect. We found a replacement. They put the dog in the crate. They took it in the van. They took it to the lady's house. Ring her doorbell and they say, ma'am, here you go. We found your dog. There you go, your dog. The woman looked in the crate and saw that happy dog, you know, with his happy little face, wagging his tail. And she said, that's not my dog. And they, they were like, oh, no, you know, the jig is up. Like, this lady figured us out. And they, said, they tried to say, no, 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 lady, this is your dog. Of course it's your dog. How can you say that's not your dog? And she said, well, I'm pretty sure it's not my dog because my dog was dead, and I was bringing him home to bury him. <laughs> See, this woman knew something about death. She knew that death is final, that it's not something you usually recover from. The Bible explains that the reason that the way things are the way they are, it tells us that God created this world and he created it good. He created us and it was all good. But then something happened that changed everything. We rebelled against God. We said to God, we don't need you. We don't want you in our lives. We don't want you telling us what to do and what not to do. We're going to do it ourselves, so go away. And we did that to God. And so we did that thing which God, in his love for us, had told us not to do, lest we die. As you, you are our parents, you know what that's like. You tell your kids, don't do that. It's not going to be good for you. And then they want to do it anyway. That's how we were. We decided to do it anyway. And ever since that fall into sin, man has lived in despair. Because we've had to suffer the consequences of sin, which is brokenness and ultimately death. And every single generation has taken that disparaging march from birth to death. If that's all you have to look forward to, that's pretty dismal, isn't it? No matter what kind of success or happiness you might have in this life, one day it's all going to be over and you're going to die. Do you know that the Bible says something even more dismal than that? The situation's actually even worse than just that. Here's what the Bible says. It says, it is appointed for every person to die once, and after that comes judgment. So not only does death await us, but there will come a day when we will have to answer for every wrong thing we've ever done. According to the World Factbook, 55.3 million people die each year. That's roughly 151,000 people per day, or if you break it down to minutes, that's 104 people every single minute who die. Death is inevitable, it is so very final, and it is absolutely racing towards us. You, you look at it, and when you look at it that way, you cannot help but feel that this is incredibly merciless. 
Even Solomon, the, the philosopher king of Israel, he looked at life and he said, it is merciless. He said this, vanity of vanities. It's all vanity. What does man gain by the toil with which he toils under the sun? One generation passes away and another one comes. You're born, you work, you toil, and then you die. It's so merciless. And the question is, is that all that life is? Is that all that there is? And if, if so, it makes you wonder, what is the point of any of this? It's like every generation climbs onto the stationary bicycle of life and pedals and pedals with all their might until they get tired and they fall off and then they die and then the next generation climbs onto the same stationary bike and pedals and pedals with all their might until they eventually get tired and fall off and die and on and on it goes, but it's a stationary bicycle. We're not actually getting anywhere. Vanity of vanities. Even Hollywood elites, you might say, well, there are some people out there who attain fame and fortune and wealth and all the things that everyone wants in life. You'd think those people surely have a better outlook on life now that they've attained all of those things. Well, here's what one famous Hollywood star said in an interview I read in Vogue magazine. I don't read Vogue very often, but I happen to read this one article. I just want to make that clear. So he says this. This is an interview in Vogue magazine, famous movie star. He says this. We are only here to ruin ourselves, to break our hearts, to love all the wrong people, and then to die. That's it, eh? Beauty, youth, family, money, none of it lasts. Eventually, everything is going to be swallowed up by death. How incredibly depressing. How incredibly merciless. How incredibly hopeless. Is there anything such as that which Viktor Frankl said that we need, that we, he talked about, a hope which suffering and even death cannot take away from us, something which can actually give real meaning and purpose to our lives? Is there such a thing? And if so, how can we get it? Let me tell you, friends, that's what Easter is all about. That's why we're here this morning. That's what this is all about. Because here's what happened. In the midst of this merciless reality comes a historical event which breaks the cycle of death and vanity and makes a way for us to have everlasting life. Jesus accomplished it by conquering death through his death on the cross and through his resurrection. And that's why we read here in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. That's what the resurrection of Jesus Christ means for us. It means that we can have a living hope. And there are three questions that we must ask. Why, what, and how? Why does Jesus' resurrection give us a living hope? What is this living hope, and how can we get it? We'll look at those three things. Why does Jesus' resurrection give us a living hope? First of all, it's because it means that Jesus died. You see, Jesus, without question, is the most famous, most significant person who's ever lived. More songs have been sung about him, more books have been written about him than any other person who's ever lived. Um, yet, 
at the same time, we look at that and we say, well, why is that? Well, he only lived for 33 years, and he lived some 2,000 years ago. He, he never held political office. He was raised by peasants. So what is it about this man that makes him so special and so significant? Well, here's what it is. What makes this man so special is that he claimed to be the Messiah, the one whom the Hebrew prophets had prophesied and proclaimed would come one day and redeem the world from the curse of sin and death. Not only did Jesus make that claim, but he also lived up to it. He met the criteria both in who he was, in his lineage, and also in his actions, the way that he lived his life and the things that he did. So much so to the point where at the end of his 33 years, none of even his own family members, the very people who had been most skeptical of all the hype surrounding him during his life, none of them could even point to one single sin that he had committed during his life. I'll tell you what, if there's somebody who knows all that you really are, it's your family members. And Jesus' family members themselves became believers. Jesus had lived a sinless life. But what's even more? The scriptures had declared that the Messiah, when he came, he would actually be divine. He would be fully human, but unlike any other person who had ever lived, he would also be divine because the coming of the Messiah would actually be the coming of God to the earth in human flesh. This is the story of the gospel. This is the story of all of our lives. We have all fallen short. We have all sinned. And the result of that is that we are destined to live broken lives and ultimately to die. But God didn't leave it that way. That's the good news, that God, because of his great love for you, he came to you. He came for you. He came to us. He took on flesh. He became one of us. And yet he was different from us and that he lived without sin. Why? Here's why. So that he could be our substitute. So that he could trade places with us before God. That he would take all of the judgment that we deserved and we could have in return his perfect standing before God. Here's what the Bible says about what happened when Jesus was dying on the cross. It says this, that he, uh, for our sake, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you see what that's saying? It's saying that on the cross, Jesus did more than just suffer and die physically. The stress which caused Jesus it, there in the Garden of Gethsemane, the stress that he felt in the Garden of Gethsemane, which caused him to sweat blood, it was more than just the anticipation of physical suffering. It was the knowledge that he was going to become sin. That means that God treated Jesus as if he had personally committed every sin ever committed by any person, even though in fact he had committed none of them. He was guilty of none of them, but he took the judgment of God for all of them. That's why the sky went dark that day and Jesus cried out in agony, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, that is the one side of this substitution. Our sins were placed on Jesus, but there's another side to it as well. At the same time that our brokenness and sinfulness was imputed to him and placed upon him, his righteousness, his perfect record, his right standing before God was imputed to us. It's as if he took your record of wrongs and he scratched out your name and wrote his name on it. And then he took his perfect record and he scratched out his name and put your name on it. See, what this means for us is that by his death for us on the cross, we have been made right with God. Not because of anything we've done, but because of what he did for us. Towards the end of the Civil War, 
President Abraham Lincoln was asked how he would treat the rebellious Southerners if they were to return. And his reply was this. He said, I will treat them as if they've never been away. That is the same thing that God would say about you. If you've fallen away, if you've walked away, if you've stumbled, if you haven't been the person that you even know yourself that you should be, if you come to him, if you come back to him, he will treat you as if you've never been away. Because of all of your failures, all of them, they were imputed to Jesus. He paid for it all on the cross, which is why he was able to say with his dying breath, it is finished. So the resurrection gives us a living hope because it means that Jesus died for you. The other reason the resurrection gives you a living hope is because the resurrection means that Jesus overcame death. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, we read about the very first Easter Sunday. And at the same time, that you know, the famous story that some of Jesus' disciples were discovering that the great stone, the great rock that sealed the entrance of the cave tomb in which Jesus had been buried, that it had been moved away and Jesus wasn't there. At the same time that they were seeing that, some of Jesus' other disciples were walking down a road towards a village called Emmaus. And as they were walking, they actually passed by Jesus. Jesus had risen from the dead, and they didn't recognize him. They walked right past him on the street. And so Jesus, seeing this, hearing them talking, he strikes up a conversation with them. He says, hey, uh, what are you guys talking about? And they said, are you just not from around here? Like, do you not know what has been happening the last couple days? And Jesus kind of played along, right? He said, no, no, tell me about it. Tell me what's been going on. And they said, well, there was a man named Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, a mighty man in deed and word before God and all the people. But the chief priests and rulers, they delivered him up to be condemned to death and they crucified him. And this is what they said. We had hoped in him, but now it is the third day since he has died. Did you catch that? They said we had hoped in him. We had hoped in him, we used to, but not anymore. I mean, it's been three days, he's not coming back. We had hoped in him, past tense. When Jesus died, their hope died with him. But when, not long after this, Jesus revealed himself to these disciples, that he had risen from the dead, their dead hope came to life, it became a living hope. Jesus' resurrection means that Jesus defeated the greatest enemy, death itself. He made a way for us through him to have eternal life. These bodies of flesh that we live in, one day they will pass away, but the hope of the gospel is that this doesn't have to be the end. We will live. We will live fully. We will live free from all of the curses of sin because Jesus overcame death and through him we can too. And that brings us to our next question. What is this hope? I mean, what is this hope at all? Let's talk about this. Peter actually lays it out for us in these verses that we just read in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 4. He says this, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance imperishable, undefiled, and unfading kept in heaven for you. So that's two things. What is this hope? First of all, it is the hope of a new life. Secondly, it is the hope of an inheritance kept in heaven for you. First of all, the living hope that we have because of Jesus' resurrection is the hope of a new life. This is talking about spiritual life. The Bible actually uses, interestingly, three different Greek words, which in English are all translated life, but they speak of different kinds of life. The three different Greek words for life that the Bible uses. First of all, there's the word bios, 
which is the word we get, uh, biosphere, biology comes from this word. It speaks of physical life. It speaks of functional life. For many people, when they think of life, this is as far as they think. This is as far as it goes. Physical, material life. The second word for life that's found in the Bible and in the Greek language is the word psuche. This word psuche is, is the word from which we get our word psychology. This speaks of your thought life, your inner life, the inner you. Jesus used this word himself when he said, if you want to save your life, psuche, he says, you must surrender your life to me. But the third word and the one which is being used in the text here is the word zoe. Zoe. It, it, this is the most comprehensive understanding of life. This is life in its fullest, life in all forms. It refers to eternal life. This is the spiritual life. This is something that you can begin to experience here and now and which continues on for eternity. You might have psychological life. You might have physical life. But the life that God came to give you is more than that. It is an everlasting life, a spiritual life. The Bible tells us that the natural state which all people are born in, the way that all of us begin, is that we are dead spiritually. But because of what Jesus did for us, we can become alive to God in our spirit. It's a new life, and when you receive it, it's as if you've been born again. You were born once into physical life, and now because of Jesus, you can be born again into spiritual life because of his death and his resurrection. And when you're born into this living hope, it changes you completely. It's like beginning a new life as a new person. The disciples themselves were a perfect, amazing example of this. Immediately after Jesus' crucifixion, around the time that he's being arrested, what do we see in his disciples? We see a group of people who are scared. They're absolutely full of fear. They're hiding behind locked doors, afraid that the people who killed Jesus are going to come and find them too and kill them too. They're so scared that people will publicly know that they were followers of Jesus. So scared so much that many of them even denied that they knew him or had followed him at all. But something happened, something changed after the resurrection. After they saw Jesus resurrected from the dead, they got a new hope, a living hope. Because if Jesus had resurrected from the dead, that means that there is hope beyond the grave. And as a result of that, these people became very bold. They were like completely new men and women. Instead of hiding, they went out boldly, publicly, declaring that they were followers of Jesus, calling others to join them because Jesus had not only died for their sins, but he had resurrected from the dead. And as a result, these disciples, they were arrested, they were persecuted, they were jailed, they were even killed. But yet none of those things deterred them. Now let me say this, only a fool would suffer and die for something they knew to be a lie. But only a crazy person would allow their loved ones to also suffer and die for something which they knew to be a lie. You see, these people had seen this with their own eyes. How could they deny what they had seen? And the result was they were changed. They received this life, this zoe, this life that is truly life, spiritual life, everlasting life, and they were changed at the very core of their being. The living hope that we have is the hope of life everlasting. Secondly, the living hope that we have in Jesus is the hope of an inheritance kept in heaven for you. You see, that inheritance, what is it? It says in verse 5 what this inheritance is. It is a salvation which will be revealed on the last day. What that means for you is this. The moment that you believe, something is kept for you. Something is set aside for you. And on the last day, you are going to get it. 
On the last day, God is going to give you everything that Christ deserves. All of his delight, all of his honor, all of his love, all of his acceptance, everything that the Father gives to the Son, he will give to you. And if you know that that is coming, it will enable you to endure anything that this life can bring. You see, this is the hope that Viktor Frankl was talking about. The hope which nothing in this life can take away from you. The hope that neither suffering nor even death can take away from you. And if you have that kind of hope, you can live a life that has true meaning here and now. It's only by having that kind of hope for the future that you will be able to live in the now without losing heart. This inheritance kept in heaven for you, that's how secure it is. There is nothing that anyone or anything can do to take it away from you. It is kept secure for you in heaven, set aside with your name on it until that day. So the question is, the last question, how can we get it? You get it by believing the gospel. Do you know what the gospel is? What's the gospel? It's not if you try hard enough, If you're good enough, then maybe God will bless you and accept you. The gospel is this, that because of what Jesus Christ did for you, something is being kept for you. It is guaranteed that you will get it. See, the gospel isn't, if I give God a good performance report, then he will owe me. The gospel is, God gives me a righteous record in Jesus Christ, and then I live in absolute freedom, wholly unto him, because I'm so thankful for what he's done for me. The gospel isn't, if you're good, then God will accept you. The gospel is, because of what Jesus did for you, you can be forgiven and redeemed. You can receive a new life, life everlasting. You can receive an inheritance kept in heaven for you, if. And let me tell you what, this is the biggest if in the whole world. Everything hinges, everything we've been talking about hinges on this one if. If you believe the gospel. If you put your faith, all your faith and all your trust in Jesus Christ and what he did for you in his life and his death and his resurrection, that is the way that you can take hold of all of these things which we're talking about today. All of these things that Jesus Christ has won for you and given to you. I'd like to give you a chance to do that today as we close. It's my belief that this is not just something that you need to do once, one and done type of thing. This is something that we need to do continually, over and over again throughout our lives. We need to receive the gospel. We need to put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. So I'm going to pray now as we close, and I would like to encourage you to pray along with me in your heart, and let's, make, let's each of us make this prayer our own. Amen? Would you please stand with me, and we'll pray together. Encourage you to just pray this along with me in your heart. God Almighty, I thank you for what you've done for me. I haven't always deserved it, and I admit that I'm a sinner. But thank you that you did not give up on me. Thank you that you came to me to rescue me from the curse of sin and death. Jesus, thank you for the cross. Thank you that you were willing to endure the shame of the cross, that I might be forgiven, that I might have everlasting life. Thank you that you have defeated death and that there's an inheritance reserved for me in heaven. Thank you that with you there are new beginnings and today I receive what you did for me. In response, Lord, help me to live wholeheartedly for you. I ask you to be Lord of my life. I ask you to help me walk in your ways until that day when faith will be sight and I will see you face to face and experience fullness of joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
This message was brought to you by White Fields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more media content or to find out more about our church, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. That's whitefieldschurch.com.